HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And you're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and we are in the midst here in New York City of Cider Week. Uh, Cider Week jumped off October 24th and is with us to November 2nd, so we thought it would be excellent to bring back... um, uh, I guess we've had on the studio a bunch of times, and it's really exciting to chat with you again here on the Farm Report. We're joined by Steve Wood of Property Lane Orchards and Farnham Hill Cider. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. So, how is your cider week going so far? Um, it's yeah, great. I mean, it's chaotic. I mean, it, the whole thing is a little strange. Right? We, uh, some of us were over at in Turin, in it, Torino, in Italy, at the slow food thing, all you folks think that it's a good idea to celebrate all the things that we grow in the fall when we're all in the middle of a harvest. So we're we're scrambling all over the place, we and other growers, to you know to to to, to say hello to everybody while we should actually be finishing picking the crop that everybody wants so much to. <laughs> to to, to praise, but uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's sort of, we, we, we're, we're here and it's going great. We've seen all sorts of uh, interested people and seen a real rise in interest in cider, which is extremely exciting. Uh, so it's cool. Yeah, it's but awesome. I, I mean, like New York. I guess I feel like that, I guess that's what would qualify as a good problem. Um. No, it is a good problem. <laughs> yeah, indeed, it is a good problem. It is a good problem. I'm, I'm not whining, I'm just amused. By yeah. The fact that so many, so many people at so many farms are not at their farms because they're 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 you know busy doing this stuff. But it's 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 totally it is totally full. It's the it, and it's the the difference between this uh, New York now and New York five years ago with cider is just or even two years ago. It's extraordinary. Um, it's really cool. Well, um, I know I like. 
I want to I want to kind of jump into some uh, so, some deeper topics a little later in the show, but I want to as quickly as we can kind of go through some Apple basics for folks. Um, really, Ooh. just kind of like the broad stroke broad strokes primer, and, and kind of a couple of questions. I'm hoping you can enlighten our listeners on briefly is giving us a sense of an apple orchard. You know, kind of how long does it take? Uh, a tree to bear fruit what's kind of the size of your orchard and if you can talk a little bit about the types of apples that you grow because i think that is uh you know an interesting part of your farm's history and obviously a big part of the cider conversation sure well you know i've been growing apples for my sins at the same farm since 1965 so it is a little bit like a heroin addiction i guess but uh we we're we're we grow we we were grower packer shippers of Macintosh, Cortland, all kinds of regular market varieties, and by various you know happy I guess now I can say circumstances, we shifted over in the eighties to uh, we started experimenting with a bunch of cider apples from around the world and a bunch of other heirloom varieties that are actually good for cooking and eating from around the world and grafted several hundred varieties during those years in the early 80s just sort of to see whether we could grow them to a, whether they could be grown to a high standard in our growing conditions which are very different from say the north of France or the west of England and uh, we discovered for the most part that what we suspected was true that most most things grown well in other parts of the world we couldn't grow very well but we did discover a handful of varieties that we could grow beautifully um, and then one thing sort of led to another. We've got about 100 acres of orchard ground on a bunch of uh, quite a lot more wooded land. It's a condition of all northern New England farms. That finding 100 acres of fields takes a lot of land to make. But uh, we, we, we shifted because of various conditions in the actual apple market. We decided in the 80s to just take a flyer and to take out acres and acres of good eating apples and put and plant a bunch of inedible varieties that nobody in this country had ever heard of, um, and that's you know that's that's the begin that was the beginning of our of our whole cider business. So our we grow varieties like I don't know names that people are not familiar with: Dabinet, Chiseled Jersey, Yarlington Mill, Medaille d'Or, um, Calville Blanc the Sopa Spitzenberg. I mean, some of the, the last couple, the Calvillo Body there is a brilliant um, uh, cooking apple, beautiful culinary apple, um, and very old French, obviously French. Um, Spitzenberg is a is a, an American apple from Ulster County, uh, New York, uh, probably mid 18th century uh, Providence. We we've just selected things that we think are really good, uh, either for cider or for eating and cooking or for both uh, that we can grow really well up there. And so we've got a kind of a weird orchard of, of a lot of inedible fruit. Yeah, I love <laughs> that, that from your website. Of, we also go back to, we still got, you know, we have a pick your own Mac and Cortland thing every year. You know, it's just coming to an end now. But, you know, people come in their little carloads of kids and go out and ride the trailer out into the orchard and pick Macs. And, you know, we're not, we haven't entirely abandoned the old, the, I mean, the, the bread and butter New England eating apples. We've just, most of our, it's like our back rooms, you know, that when you come to the orchard, you see all these old, lovely Macs and Cortlands. Out, 
out in the back where most of the acres are, we're growing a bunch of stuff that you can't really eat. I mean, most of these good cider apples, um, you know, if you, we say if you, you know, if you tried to put them in a kid's lunchbox, you go to family court. I mean, they're, they're, they're not, they are bad to eat. Their only excuse for existence is the character that the, the character they bring to fermented cider. They're very like wine grapes in that way. Yeah. You, know, I, you don't see Cabernet Sauvignon in the supermarket. You know, Whole Foods has not got a Chardonnay aisle except in the wine section. In the same way that you don't see a Thompson Seedless grape section in, uh, you know, in the wine shops. And we're growing the, we're growing the apple equivalent of vinifera grapes, which are not very good to eat, but uh, do bring a lot of character to, um, to, uh, to fermented cider. And as to the time it takes, you know, it's, I mean, uh, apple growing is, is one step down from forestry. You need to take a long view if you're going to go trees for a living. And we, um, there, there are various methods of planting the trees that are in, particularly in favor now of very high-density trellised, you know, supported trees, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 trees to the acre. Um, the trees are planted a few feet from one another. They come into production within a year or so. They're, you know, drip trickle irrigation and a weed-free strip um, and permanent tree support. We we don't do that. I don't denigrate it. It's a way to grow fruit, um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's supporting a lot of good orchard land. But uh, our somewhat prejudiced view is that the best cider fruit is grown on somewhat larger, deeper-rooted trees. So... With our planting approach, which is more like 200 instead of 2,000 trees to the acre, we, um, you know, it's four or five years before you see much in the way of any apples, and eight years before you get a full crop if you've done everything right. Um, so, uh, but it varies a lot. It varies a lot according to how you're how you're planting the rootstocks, the you know density of fruit trees and whatever. I don't know if that's was that the answer. Yeah, no, I think I think you you like you went right through it. I'm impressed. Um, I was like a couple of couple of things spilling in there. Um, I loved the line on your website that you know you guys are the biggest grower of inedible apples in the United States. Uh, kind of a little you know tongue in cheek, uh, but really kind of highlights what is so different about what's happening on your on your operation there and and I do also find like really the story of you know transitioning to the Macintosh Cortland system um into something that ha- where you're growing this wide diversity of I think what you call un- uncommon apples um, Oh yeah we do yeah yeah is, The uncommon apples that's our brand of what people like to call heirlooms mm-hmm. You know something funny about heirlooms I mean the thing is Macintosh and Red Delicious are actually older varieties than a lot of the varieties that we sell as heirlooms. I mean, they're, 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 it's not really that something's been around for a very long time that distinguishes it in this. What we've been looking for are varieties. Again, we're not talking about cider apples now. We're talking about the stuff that we, the apples we grow for eating or cooking for the most part. That's that's what the uncommon thing is to us. And we're, we're looking at varieties that have fallen from commercial favor for one reason or another over the over the last hundred or hundred fifty years. Um, and, you know, what we've discovered is, uh, it should be sort of obvious, just being old doesn't make something good. <laughs> so, you know, we've been looking for the varieties that have fallen from commercial favor for what we now think are stupid reasons. For example, 
there are a lot of different russeted varieties. They're very different from one, one another. People say, oh, I love russet apples. It's like saying I love red apples. I mean, they're the only characteristic that russets share is that, is that they have brown skin. But that thick brown skin kind of fell out of favor 100 years ago. People were going for, you know, shiny red stuff and thin-skinned apples. And so a lot of really good russet varieties fell by the wayside. Other things with dense flesh, things or various apples that were, I mean, the whole thing about culinary apples in this country, there's still, in France and England, there's still a category of culinary apples. It doesn't exist in the U.S. Uh, you know, most recipes call for Granny Smiths. Most Granny Smiths are grown in the Southern Hemisphere. You know, that, 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 sorry, there are some grown here as well, uh, fair number, but still, the point is, Granny Smith is a sort of all-purpose apple. There are a number of varieties that have lasted the generations because they're so brilliant in cooking. You see them in, you know, old French still lifes next to the dead pheasant. Those are the things we've been looking for in growing. So growing with it, but, but only we only grow things, we try only to grow varieties that we think we can really grow well. So we have hundreds of varieties of, you know, individual branches grafted on trees. But the things that we actually plant are things we think we can really grow to a very, you know, high standard. And um, we don't really care how old they are. We just care that they're good. They taste good. Well, I love, yeah. I, I love the kind of, like, conversation around apples that, that cider brings up. It's like an apple is, is not an apple. It's like all of a sudden this thing that I think for, I think anyone of my generation, you grew up thinking, you know, an apple is kind of this singular thing your world gets kind of blown up into like not just all the t- varieties, but all the usages and all the stories behind those. And um, one of the things I find so interesting about the work that you guys do is that your business includes so many different parts. Like on one hand, you know, you're managing these orchards and having kind of the agricultural um, skill set to um to maintain a healthy land base where you're you're growing a lot of different things and it sounds like in a number of different ways um and so there's like that chunk of work and then um the cider making obviously which is a whole other kind of skill set and harvesting set and then the you know the eating apples that fall into um you know multitude of categories and then the the on you know on farm site visits pick your own i mean and then you guys also sell juice into the wholesale market is that right yeah so you described our, you have described our problem pretty well okay yeah. so did yeah, i we, miss yeah, anything we, we sell juice to people all over the makers across the country i mean the one thing that is we actually should take off the website that is no longer true and we're really proud and pleased by this is we are not any longer the largest um, acreage of inedible apples in this country. Ah, Over the I got last it wrong. Years, <laughs> growers are planting them. This has been a great pleasure. I mean, we've been giving away budwood, which is the propagation material, trying to encourage growers to grow these weird apples. Um, and my first colleagues are really apple growers. That's what we've done all our lives. So, you know, the cider thing, I mean, really, we started maybe 30 years ago, but still, that's, that's kind of really kind of, new to us compared to the other thing. And we've been trying to encourage growers to plant this stuff for a long time. And, you know, every year we give away a few hundred buds, meaning of the propagation material for a few hundred trees. 
I mean, this year it was over 50,000 real serious commercial growers across the country are putting these apples in the ground. What that means is that within the next decade, the quality of cider in this country is going to shoot up. And right now we have a market for fruit and juice across the country because we are the only game in town almost. But the great pleasure in this is that, I mean, I think we, I hope we will be able to use all of our own fruit soon, that the whole market starts to grow to that extent, and that meanwhile, real regional distinctions between ciders start to develop. Right now, there are a lot of claimed regional distinctions about ciders, but they really don't have nothing to do with the land. It's not akin to wine regions, because, it, you know, if somebody develops the Iowa style of cider, you know, it has to do with, I mean, I'm, this is not Iowa I picked out of the hat, but, right. you know, it has to do with jalapeno flavoring or something, or Johnny Gold's off the packing line. When people start actually deliberately growing apples for the four cider, and, you know, what makes a cider, I've got my own prejudices about what makes a good cider apple, but, you know, I, I'm, my general view about what constitutes a cider apple, it's an apple that somebody actually grows on purpose to make cider with. Mm-hmm. If it grows, you know, so in the same way that I don't love every good wine in the world, I'm not going to love every cider either, and neither are you. Right. But, but, but it's really the sort of horticultural on-purpose element that's coming now, and that's going to be very cool. And there are a lot more of these um, uh, varieties, including some... I mean, Virginia is a great example. They've got their own bittersweet varieties. We can't grow a lot of their cider apples for spit up here in New Hampshire. But they can't grow most of the stuff that we grow. Well, in New Hampshire and Virginia, though, therein lies a, a, a regional difference that's really real. You know, it has to do with the fruit that can be grown well in those places. This is going to start to emerge. Michigan is planting stuff. Vermont's planting and New York is planting stuff. You know, Oregon and Washington are planting stuff. There are going to be real cider regions soon. That that is a huge satisfaction to us. Yeah, no, that's um, really exciting. Yeah, um, we are we are the source of a lot of the propagation material. But you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, we were the Looney Tunes who sort of started doing it, growing this stuff years ago. But you're reminding me that we should, I should tell folks to get that off the website because it ain't true anymore. Thank God. <laughs> Well, Steve, I want you to hang tight. We are going to take a short break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, what CIDR is doing for land uh, at your farm and across the country. So hold, hold tight, folks. You're listening to The Farm Report, and we'll be right back. You are listening to Bad Mama Jama by Alan Wilkes. Heritage Foods USA has sold pasture-raised, antibiotic-free heritage meats to restaurants and homes around the country. Our farmers raise their animals with care using traditional methods guaranteed to produce the very best-tasting meat. Our pork breeds include Berkshire, Red Wattle, Duroc, Gloucester Old Spot, Large Black, and Tamworth, 
and our beef comes from Piedmontese, Angus Akiyushi, Belgian Blue, Highland, Simmental, and Belted Galloway cattle. We also carry a rotation of 24 rare breeds of heritage chicken, seasonal specialties like lamb, goat, geese, and of course, heritage turkeys. Visit us online at www.heritagefoodsusa.com or give us a call at 718-389-0985 to place your order today. We are back. We're on the line with Steve Wood of Poverty Lane Orchards and Farnham Hill Cider. Steve, um, what I'm hoping we can talk a little bit here in the second half of the show is what cider does for the land. I'm curious, um, when we're when we're thinking about agriculture production, um, not so much in like what we get to eat and enjoy or drink and enjoy, but how does this kind of uh, growth of interest and this transition or new growth of trees, how is that in fact impacting kind of the, the landscape in counties where um, in areas where cider is being grown? And also what is kind of the impacts on our, our egg land from cider if it's distinctive in some way from other forms of agriculture? Well, that, you know, th- this is the question that's closest to our heart. Um, and um, we, it, a lot of the a lot of the answer to your question. I mean, there are two answers. One is what it's doing right now, but the really fundamental question is what it will or can do. Um, and what it's what it's done so far is to provide another market for reject apples. So it, it's it's helping to keep at the moment. It's it's helping to keep a lot of orchard. It's Orchard areas of the country and orchard land, therefore, you know, agricultural in production. What we think and what we see other growers finally embracing is the notion that, you know, cider apples are valuable. It's a valuable crop to plant. What that does is to uh, 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 allow, I mean, it just opens up a whole other kind of realm of of fruit production possibilities for growers in and a lot of you know a lot of wholesale fruit growing i mean there's a reason that we stopped growing packing shipping exporting max in portland's 20 years ago it's difficult now and particularly difficult on not marginal land but the land like ours that used to make its money on the quality of the fruit it grew and not the quantity. But we, you know, we, we, what really in a nutshell happened to us was we never made money on production efficiency. We made money on the premium we could get for really good Macintosh. That is, in effect, disappeared. You know, I mean, really good means uniform large. I mean, you go to Whole Foods even, look, you know, they're, they're supposedly the, the big green guys, and we like Whole Foods, but look at the apple displays. All the apples of all the varieties are the same size in these vertical trapezoidal stacks. That is the condition you've got to meet to grow profitable apples in this country now. Cider's a whole other story. You're growing apples for what's in them. And so places that are very good at growing one sort of apple or another can actually possibly start making real money Growing apples for what's in them, and if you take, if you consider wine, 
Um, and wine is kind of really, wine grapes are kind of our model and have been for years. Wine grapes are the only agricultural crop I know where uh, subtle differences between similar things are not only not penalized, but are actually rewarded, paid for. Nobody expects a, you know, I mean, think about Bordeaux grapes, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, and, and Merlot. Those, those grapes grown in Bordeaux are what started the whole thing, but nobody expects the stuff grown in Southwest Australia or Napa Valley or Long Island, those made from one or another or all of those grapes, to smell, taste, or feel the same, and they pay for the difference. Cider is such a thing. That meanwhile, again, go into any supermarket and look at the requirement for uniformity. You are penalized for not being able to meet a bunch of standards that have nothing to do with the actual, what do you want to call it, organoleptic pleasure you can get from the thing that you buy. They're all, you know, they're grown to be big and shiny in the same size. <laughs> um, I'm not pretending that there's nothing else in that. I mean, Honeycrisp, they're cool for what they are, whatever. But the point is, wine grapes are a whole nother, they're, they're, it's another realm, and cider apples are in that realm. And good growers who understand their land have an opportunity with this developing cider industry to grow fruit that will, first of all, distinguish their farms, but also that it's stabler. There's no, I mean... You know, they've been growing Pinot Noir in the Northern Rhone for a very long time, right? Since it was Cister- you know, it started by Cistercian monks in the 12th century. You know, this stuff, it's, the market's not as fickle. Um, so I think it's a huge, I think it's a huge uh, prospect for really the preservation of, of, of good apple ground that can't really make it in the current market conditions for fresh fruit. Um, so it, it's really a very hopeful thing. And it's one of the reasons we've been so... We, I, it, it, this is one of the things that drives us at Truth. I mean, we, we're, we're, not a, we're not a museum. We are actually a business. But, but, <laughs> but, but we, it, it's quite exciting to, to, to have had some, some hand in kicking forward this, 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 what I think is a really good prospect for good apple ground in this country. I think too. It sounds like uh, in a in a in a way, this kind of, I would say, almost radical taking back of of um, you know a, a power shift essentially. Like as yeah. as the kind of power in the Apple market grew to be more consolidated and outsourced, um, you know, beyond uh, the borders of the U.S. or or segmented in different areas of the U.S. The things that are rewarded, um, which you talk about, you know, the uniformity and, and the production and the, the volume, you know, you're losing in that all of the kind of like nuance and, and essentially like there, it's exciting to me, this idea of like finding delight in, um, in the unique, in the, in, in the, the place-based, um, there's a variety. It's just for, you know, that thing about variety being the spice of life is, you know, man, that's true, right? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things about all this, we, you know, it's not power exact. I mean, the thing is, we are all complicit in this. It's us. It's what we demand. People say they want one thing, but actually they want another. They do want uniformity. Um, you know, they want to feel that they're doing something good, so they 
you know, they don't really examine very hard. I mean, people think that if they if they separate their green glass from their from their aluminum and drive a Prius and buy organic, they can say that they're not complicit in the ills of the world. So people want absolution on the one hand. On the other hand, they want to think that, you know, they're doing something that's really kind of special, but they actually want, you know, most of the first world wants the same thing. We do actually crave uniformity. The great thing, you know, I, this is not very encouraging, but thing per se. I'm like, keep going, man, keep going. Happily, what's happening is that a lot of folks are getting dissatisfied with that. A lot of, and it's it, this is you know this is all still in a way kind of a niche market. Our hope is that these things become more and more. And I'm not now just talking about cider apples. You know, they become more mainstream, and that is that does seem to be happening in this country. People more. It's enough. There's enough market of a market for all kinds of cool, different things. That all you know that people are actually enough. People are embracing the different. Mm-hmm. To, to, to and and the, the sort of fun on the edges of uniformity <laughs> that you know that, that, that things really are in a way slightly changing but but with this goes so there's a great deal of affectation out there and insider as well I mean one of our we've got a sort of slight cluster of, of people that we're sort of calling ourselves the fine cider people or the grower cider people or something who are really orchard based orchard based ciders um They've scattered across the country, but who are making what each of us thinks. You know, we we like each other's cider. We admire each other's cider. And one of the things that is driving us crazy is the whole, you know, the whole art, so-called artisanal deal. You know, I mean, people have got this notion in their minds that if it's made by some small producer who is a self-declared artist, it must be delicious. Well, you know, what we're trying to say to people is, look, just taste it. If it's right. not delicious, it's not delicious. Right. You know, and a very large producer can make something really delicious, and a really small producer can make something really disgusting. You know, <laughs> and the real shakeout is going to be the real, I mean, the happy day is going to be when good stuff is honored, because that is, I mean, again, the, that will track the land, that will, that will provide stability. So we're working in, we're, we're working in the context of a lot of, 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 uh, Sometimes useful to us marketing affectation. I mean, shoot, our, our our labels say all kinds of stuff about traditional. Well, I don't know. Traditional is another one of those funny words. What the heck is that? <laughs> you know, I mean, artisanal, traditional. It's great. It's a great marketing term, but I don't know what it means. And sometimes it's on, you know, it's on some pretty skanky stuff. <laughs> but it's all, yeah, it's all. I mean, it is good. It, it, this is all a very good. It's very hopeful. Um, but I, I, you know, I, 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 I. I do want to keep reminding people that we are all responsible for the other stuff. It's not some like evil external force that's come in and sure. You know, it's not Walmart is not the problem. It's that we want Walmart. <laughs> that's the problem. That that's so. the instinct that we should be questioning. Well, it's also it reminds me of something you said earlier in the program where you're like you know golden delicious red delicious are older than a lot of these variety you know the varieties yeah. that you're promoting and through the like the uncommon apples line that age is not a signifier of like a quality and like what it feels like in your mouth in the same way that small or large are not a signifier of what's happening in your palate. Um, I want to ask, we just have a few minutes left here, but I'm curious because you um, are active in both kind of the eating world um, with the apples and then the drinking world with the cider. Do you find that folks are more 
or less adventurous in one of these areas versus the other? I mean, because I think in particular about the beverage space, you know, thinking about, you know, wine and the cocktail culture and the explosion of craft breweries, it seems to me like there's a, a large appetite and an embracing of variety and difference and, and time and place and, and space. And I'm wondering, is that happening in the eating space in, in the same way? Or I, I don't know, it's kind of a funny question, but because you, you kind know, of are looking no, it's at a very both. Good question. And it does, actually, if we had to drop something, and we might have to drop something, it would be the apples, the, the eating apples, the cooking apples. Um, for the exact reason, it's just too, I mean, what I said about Whole Foods, it's not, this is not an indictment of Whole Foods. It's very difficult to get eating apples or cooking apples into a place where people can even buy them unless you go to food service or whatever. And people are not as adventurous. They say they're going to be adventurous. They say, you know, they, 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 say they want to buy environmentally sound, you know, things grown, you know, to a standard of environmental sensibility and, and you know, sensibility to fairness to workers and whatever, but they also want perfectly squeaky clean fruit. They don't want to be, yeah, they say they'll take blemishes. Try to produce some apples with blemishes and put them out there and see how fast they move. They don't move. So, except, you know, except in the occasional farmer's market, and that's cool. You know, Union Square is cool and all that stuff. But cider, just what I said about wine grapes, cider, I think if it carries on, it is, first of all, um, as people, people are finally getting it. And once they start to get it, the range of the range of aromas and flavors that can come from an apple in whatever form is enormous. In cider, it strikes me. Cider strikes me as a stabler market. People will people appear to be braver about what they what they what they don't have to chew, what they drink. You know, uh, New York is actually. I mean, New York and Chicago. There are a few places that are extraordinary in that way, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if I had to pick one, I'd pick cider as a place for people to continue to, you know, um, stretch the edges of their notion of pleasure. Yeah, um, well, we don't want to drop it either one. Right. But, you know, I think cider's the place. Yeah, and well, too, it's like what you as a consumer, uh, what what you see of the process, because I think right. you know, like there is like too this. I mean, I think it is reflective, too, of, like, our removal um, from food production that, in a way, cider comes in a glass bottle that we open. And even if it's a, a different color than we're expecting or, you know, has an effort, you know, there's, like, different ways that it can be unexpected. But it's, it's Absolutely. like, clean and controlled and, and packaged and, in some ways, like, more digestible than right. and familiar than like a, a knotty apple with like a tougher skin right. and you know so it's a i guess right. it's a work in progress more, there's more prospect for it actually be, being because of the wine deal there's a there is a subset of cider i don't denigrate flavored ciders or what i mean you know i don't denigrate wine coolers i don't drink wine coolers but but the heck people want to drink them somebody wants to make them perfect strawberry daiquiri flavored wine cooler great make it same thing with cider. There's all kinds of cider that I don't want to drink, but, you know, is doing anybody any harm. But the subset of real cider, real cider, which is based on land and based on fruit, 
as that grows, the range of pleasures from the actual crops of apples and the ground that grows them is going to expand. And that's, that, 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 to me, that looks just like a stabler bet. And the other stuff's going to keep going, the stuff made indifferently of whatever kind of apples or whatever kind of concentrate with jalapeno or whatever else thrown into it, you know, or maple syrup or all-natural honey or whatever damn thing. That there's a, there is a cider, you know, sort of slash shadow of the pop thing going here now that might actually get, we hope it will become entrenched in people's minds. What we hope is that a regular person who's actually a good prospective host who keeps a bottle of red and a bottle of white and a few bottles of beer kicking around the house in case somebody drops by will also have a bottle of real cider in the house. That's that that's what we're aiming for. Make it another staple of pleasure. Awesome. Does that make sense? No, that totally makes sense. Steve, we are sadly out of time, um, but thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure to, to chat with you. Thank you for your patience with the long string of agricultural polemic. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what I'm looking for on the Farm Report. So, uh, um, all right. Well, so, thank you, very much. thank you, folks. If you're interested in learning more about Poverty Lane Orchards or more about Farnham Hill Cider, you can definitely find them at www.povertylane.com. If you are in New York, um, check them out uh, this coming Friday, Halloween. They'll be over at Frankly Wines at 66 West Broadway from 530 to 730 doing a a farm-made cider, the Farnham Hill Cider Tasting. So great event there. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of The Farm Report. This show, like all 39 of our weekly programs, is available for free. You can find us by visiting www.heritageradionetwork.org. We're also available as a podcast via iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio. Stay tuned. Uh, up next, we got Pizza Party with Talia Ralph. <laughs> Whoa, Talia Ralph. <laughs> She's making faces at me in the studio. <laughs> um, yeah, all the greatest tips on your best pizza costume ever. Sounds saucy if you ask me. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.